Amen, and welcome, SBC family. Thank you guys for joining us, wherever you're joining us at during this season. If you're not in Arizona, you are fortunate. It's 118 here the other day, so enjoy wherever you're at, and send a prayer up for those of us as we sweat it out here. But it's good to have you guys. You know, Russ and I just got done wrapping up the Transform series, and we've got three more weeks until the big man comes back and takes us on from there. But we're going to kick off a new series this week. And, and as Rust and I got together and started talking about, you know, where do we want to go? Uh, man, we, we, we really felt called to this. And then the chaos of the world around us has taken place. And I'll be honest with you, there was a moment in time where I began to waffle on where we were going and tried to start to think about, man, do we need to address some of the stuff that's going on in our world and our culture? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, man, I think what God's called us to do is what we're going to stick with. Uh, because reality is this, uh, if they come up with a vaccine or they don't, if you send your kids to school or you don't, if you wear a mask or you don't, if your candidate wins on November 4th or he doesn't, if you have money in your bank or you don't, it doesn't matter where you're at on any of those issues, black lives, blue lives, all lives, you can make a stance on all of those things and have a strong opinion on all of them and we can focus all our attention on all of those things, but the truth of the matter is this. At the end of all time, when God calls you home or he comes back, none of those things matter. In that moment, when Isaiah tells us every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, where you stand on any of those issues and any of the things that the world right now is trying to get our eyes focused on, none of those things matter. What matters in that moment is what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus Christ? See, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but the reason why you bow and what you confess in that moment is completely contingent upon what you do with Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna take these next three weeks and we're gonna focus on the gospel. And if you've been around for very long, you've heard Jamie spell out, you know, the gospel is, is, is deep, but it's simple. Simple enough to be wrapped up in four words. And those four words are God, sin, Christ, and you. And so we're going to take a hard look at each one of those each week. The you will be implied each week, but we're going to take a look at God, sin, and Christ. And how does that impact us? And what do we do with that as hearers of God's truth and God's word and God's good news? And so really it's a, a threefold prayer has gone into this from myself and Rustin as well. And that is, uh, one, there are some of you out there that are searching. You're searching for answers in the midst of this unstable world and where all our hope was lying and all of a sudden that has crumbled and you're sitting there going, man, what? there's got to be something more. What are the answers? Maybe you're seeking hope. Maybe you're seeking answers. Maybe you're in, turning on right now just because you're, you're reaching out and looking for something more. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. We're going to put definition to this word that we throw around all the time, gospel. And we're going to look at what does it mean that the God of the universe looks past our sinfulness and loves us in spite of us and sent his son to die for us. So we're going to take a look at that. And maybe God's calling your name out and would want to draw you into his family in the midst of this season and this time right now. There's a whole other group, and I'll be honest with you, this, this maybe is a broader group tuning in right now. And those are those that, um, as a pastor, if I'm, if I'm completely honest, there, there's a, an angst in my soul for some that, that we get to shepherd and, and care for as the flock. Uh, and those are the ones that, that would think, man, I, I'm a child of God because I go to church, I give to the church, I serve, I do all of these things, and I have a chance to read a lot of 
testimonies through baptisms and membership applications and just interacting with people. And I hear so often, well, I grew up in a Christian home uh, or I was born, born into a Christian family. And so therefore, you know, I, I started to go to church and, I've, and, I, and I, I feel drawn to God. And, and they, can, they can lay out a beautiful testimony and never mention sin, never acknowledge their brokenness, never acknowledge that they need Jesus for everything. And so my fear sometimes for some is that We've been caught up in this works-based mentality that if I do these things, then me, you, me, God, we're good, right? And, and God's looking down going, man, it's all about Jesus. It's all about what you do with Christ. And so maybe there's some, as we can go through this, take a hard look at your life. Wrestle with that reality. Have you ever come to the end of yourself and said, God, I need you for everything. And I wanna find everything I can in Jesus Christ and I submit to him and to the cross and the sacrifice. Maybe for you, you need to lean into that over these next couple of weeks. And certainly for all of us, especially those that are sons and daughters of God most high in the midst of this season when we can't gather in this place, but you guys are out there in the world, what might it look like for you to lean in and to wrestle with the word of God? And as we spell some of these things out to take this message and to share it with the people around you, you know, the biggest, maybe one of the biggest reasons why people are so afraid to share their faith is, well, I don't know what to say. What if they ask me a question? I don't know. Well, we're going to hopefully go through this in such a way that we can all at the end of it say, God loves you, you're a sinner, but Christ died for your sin. So you get to make a choice, it's simple as that. And what might it look like for us as the family, as the children of the Lord to go out and to live out 2 Corinthians 5, to be ambassadors for Christ. And so that's really our hope and our prayer. Uh, I would say all of that with, with this one caveat. If any time, and I'm trying to say this as humbly as possible, uh, if at any time during this series you hear us say something or something comes across and your immediate thought is, oh man, I need to send this to somebody. They need to hear this. Do me a favor. Do not send it. Don't, don't send it. God's put that person on your heart. You know who they are. They're in your life. And if you know Jesus Christ, would you do them and yourself the opportunity and the favor to reach out to them and say, you know what? God just put you on my heart. I want to share some truth with you. Uh, but this is a chance for God's church to rise up and to be ambassadors for Christ. Uh, and what an opportunity we have to do that. So today we're gonna dive into our, our first topic, which is God. And so we're gonna do our best to explain the infinite of God. I, I was telling the guys earlier this week, I said, yeah, I'm kind of wrestling with where to go. And Derek and his perfect timing says, yeah, it's, it's almost like I can go an infinite number of ways, Kevin. And it's true because of the infinity of God. Uh, but as we think about how awesome God is, I'm going to do my best to set up a story that will fall woefully short of how awesome God is. But I'll explain it to you this way. I was a, a junior high pastor uh, at a church up the road, and, and I was uh, married. I had three kids at home, and I had about 14 cents in my bank account and wasn't getting paid very much. But man, I loved doing what I was doing. I got to share the gospel. I got to disciple future husbands and fathers and, and young men and women in their faith. And it was a real joy in ministry. It was a sweet time of ministry. I just didn't have much to show for it. And so one day I'm sitting in my office, and at this time uh, a man walks in and goes, hey, I happen to have a bunch of tickets to the, at that time it was the Phoenix Open, now the Waste Management Open. The Phoenix Open, do you want to go? I thought, absolutely I want to go. So I grabbed some tickets, I grabbed my two interns, and we head off to the Phoenix Open. We park, we hop on the bus, we take the bus through the massive humanity, we get over there, give them our tickets, and we walk through the tent, and we walk out of there, and it's just, just people. 60,000 people, eight of them there to watch golf and the other mass just to be seen and to see other people. 
And we begin to make our way through and we watch some golf for a little while and we begin to come back around. And I go, hey, before we go, we've got to go to number 16. Like you just got to experience whole number 16. And the guys that I'm with are going, man, we are so hungry. Can we get something to eat? So we look at the snack shack thing right there and I realize it's more than 18 cents so I can't buy anything. So I, I can't afford anything here, guys. And they say, yeah, neither can we. So we kind of put our heads down and I say, hey, here's what we'll do. When we're done here, we'll go to Circle K. I'll get you guys a hot dog. All the condiments you want, they're free on the house, right? So we can just load up. And so we walk dreaming of Circle K hot dogs in our near future. And we walk past this section that's got this picket fence around it. And just beyond the picket fence are some tables and a bunch of people. And there's a huge buffet set up and a big open bar. And there's chicken fingers piled up and there's nachos and there's burgers and there's french fries. And we walk by and we're looking at this thing, just mouths drooling and going, oh, my friends say, how do we get in there? I go, oh, guys, those are, the, those are the greenskeepers passes. There's no way we can get in there. Our tickets just got us in the door. We can't have anything that they have to enjoy in there. And we longingly look as we walk by and said, Circle K hot dog. I'll get our mind back on that. We take about a few more steps. We're going to come around the backside to get to 16. When I hear my name called, Kevin, I look around the mass of bottled blondes and high heels and can't figure out who called my name. And then I hear it again. I look up and up on this patio overlooking the top of the, um, the golf course over the 18th green is a man standing on a patio. He goes, hey, come on up here. And I, Me? Yeah, come on up. So we make my way around to a, a narrow staircase that goes up super narrow, with a huge man. Would have given Goliath a run for his money at the base of the stairs with the security on his shirt. And we walk up and go, hey, this guy's calling us up there. He goes, no, no, son, no one's allowed up here. Move along. No patrons allowed up these steps. But he's, get out of here. Okay. So we begin to make the walk of shame when all of a sudden the guy looks down at the security guard, gives him a whistle and looks at him and goes, gives him the send us up sign. So we make our way up these stairs trying to figure out where we're going, still trying to figure out who this man is. We get to the top of the stairs. He kicks open the door and we walk in to this huge suite, leather chairs, leather couches, TVs all over the place, huge bar over here. Right over here, there's three guys in chef's hat and they're carving prime rib and they got some sort, I mean, food I couldn't even pronounce. It was all in French, different things like that. And they got a guy at the end, he's working a Cold Stone Creamery rack, just making up ice cream right there. And we're looking around like, what? And I look at this guy and I go, hey, you know, you called my name. I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. He goes, well, let me tell you, you have my son in your junior high group. And man, he loves you. And I love that you're pouring into his life. And we've seen a huge change in him. And I just wanted to say thank you for the, for, the, for the investment you've made in my son. And I say, oh, man, you're welcome. You know, it's my pleasure. I, I, I love your son. And I go, what is this place? Where are we right now? And he goes, oh, this is where all the Thunderbirds hang out. I go, wait, Thunderbird? Like the guys that put on this whole tournament? Yeah, I'm a Thunderbird. And he goes, here gives us three passes. Says, you guys come and go whenever you want. Watch some golf, come up here, eat, sit back, relax. You do whatever you want. In fact, you use these, you can get in anywhere you want. So we took these passes, shoved them in our pockets, and then we made our way over to that buffet. And guys, I'll be honest with you, to this day, I'm still embarrassed of the amount of food that I took out of this place. I had rib, prime ribs stacked up. I had a tub of horseradish sauce. I went outside, kicked open those doors like a gargoyle overlooking the tournament and just said, look at all these poor schmoes down there trying to fight. Look at, hey, look at those guys. They're eating chicken fingers. I got prime rib up here, guy. And just looking down at what was so 
we were longing for earlier, and now we have been lifted to the mountaintops in such a way that we are experiencing something we would never have been able to experience. Had a person of influence, had a person of power, looked down upon the masses of humanity and seen us and called out my name and then welcomed me into an experience I could never have on my own. And you're gonna see how woefully short that story falls and we begin to talk about what it means to have the God of all creation look down onto the mass of humanity to look into your soul and to call you out by name and to welcome you into something far better than a sweet buffet at a golf tournament, far better than passes that get you in anywhere, but to eternity with him. But not only that, with, with, a, with a forgiveness and a grace and a hope that we can live in this life now as we look forward to the future. So before we dive into our time in the word, the question for you is this. When you think about the God of the universe, when you think about the God of all things, in fact, I'll still align from Kevin Butcher, Jamie's old pastor, when the, when the God of all things, the creator of the world, looks down at you and he's looking at you face to face, what kind of expression does he have on his face when he looks at you? How does the God of the universe looking at you right now in this moment? I'm gonna try and unpack that a little bit. Let me pray for us before we dive into our word. God, we thank you so much. God, for who you are, certainly. Guys, we just got done singing about here, certainly over in the chapel as well, God, that we have worshiped you because of who you are, how awesome you are, that you are the great creator, sustainer, ruler, and reigner of all things. So God, now in this moment, as I professed to you earlier and continue to confess to you now, God, I will fall woefully short of trying to explain how awesome you are because you are infinite. And given my finite mind and my inability to grasp how awesome you are, God, we're gonna do our best. I pray that your word would speak, that your word would speak louder than anything else. And God, as I've been praying, we'll continue to pray, not only for this church, but every church across this country and across the world that preaches your son, Jesus Christ. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move. God, that you would cause revival to happen. And in the midst of everything that's going on, God, when everyone does what's right in their own eyes, that maybe for a brief moment in time, God, that we would fix our eyes on you and that your spirit would do what only you can do and that has changed lives from the inside. So God, we love you, we thank you, we thank you for meeting us in this moment, in this place. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, guys, we're gonna, we're gonna take a hard look at, at who God is and so as I said earlier, I thought about, man, how do, how do I talk about the infinite God? Do we talk about his glory? And do we look at Exodus 33 where, where Moses says, God, let me see your glory. And God goes, oh, Moses, you don't know what you asked for. If you were to see my glory, you would explode. I'll let you see the back of my glory, but you can't see the full force of it because I'm too perfect, too holy, too righteous. We talk about that nature of God. I thought about, man, with everything going on and, and the uncertainty of the times, we need to talk about the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign over all things. And even when the world seems like it's chaotic, God knows what he's doing. And there's a beautiful story in 2 Kings 6 through 7. I encourage you, go read it this week. It's a, it's a gruesome story that then, if you get the nature of it, turns beautiful. The king is under attack. There's a famine. There's a, there's, there's a famine in the land, and he's under attack. There's no food. In fact, there, there's an argument that breaks out between two women, and they look at the king, and they go, king, judge for us. Here's what's going on. Yesterday, we had to eat my son. And we did that on contingent upon the fact that today we would eat her son and she's hidden her son. What should we do, king? And the king's looking down going, oh my gosh, what has happened to my people? All of a sudden, a prophet blows into town. Says, king, don't worry. Tomorrow, you're gonna have more food than, this, than you've ever seen. 
You'll have more food, more wealth, more everything than you have ever seen. And the king's commanding officer looks at this prophet and goes, are you kidding me? Even if God were to open up the sky and rain food upon us, that could never happen. And the prophet looks at the king's commander and goes, oh, I just see, I see how small your God is. In fact, watch this. Tomorrow, about this time, you will see it happen, but you will not partake of it. That night, God sends something, and we aren't even sure what it is, but all of a sudden, the army that's outside flees. They run away. God puts a fear in them, and they take off, and they leave everything behind, all their food, all their wealth, all their stuff, everything. And all of a sudden, the people inside hear about it, and the king's commanding officer decides he's going to open the gate to see what's going on. He kicks open the gate, and out there is just a bounty of food and wealth and everything that the prophet talked about. The king's commanding officer goes, no way it happened. And then boom, like Black Friday gone wrong, he is trampled by a bunch of people that go out to get the food that they want. He doesn't partake of any of it. And it's one of those moments where the king looks and goes, everything the prophet said came true. It's almost like God knows exactly what he's doing and he is ruling and reigning over all things. Did we look at that? Thought about looking at Job 38 through 40 where Job has just spent a, a bunch of chapters with he and his, his not-so-smart friends arguing about who God is. And Job says, man, if God ever showed up, I would ask him a question. So then God shows up. And he looks at Job and says, you have a question for me? And Job can't even speak. He's in awe of who God is. And then God says, oh, you don't have a question? Let me ask you a few. And in biting sarcasm, which I love to know that's true of my God, he looks at Job and goes, where were you when I made everything? Surely you know how all this came to be. Answer me, you call yourself a man. Oh, you don't know? Well, then let me tell you. And he begins to go on a tirade of just talking about how great and awesome are all the things that God created, all the things that he's made. Everything in creation looks to point us and draw our eyes off of what it is onto who made it and just go, man, God, you are awesome. Do we look at that side of God? But then I thought, man, here, here's the reality is I feel like as I look at culture, as I look at the world around us, and I'll take full responsibility for this in the church, I feel like we've almost created a, a, a poor view of who God is. We've distorted a little bit who God is. We've swung the pendulum so far this way into God's love and God's grace and God's mercy, and we're gonna talk about all of those things, and all of those things are true. In fact, we're gonna end our time talking about those things because they are significant and important. But we can't forget on the other side of that pendulum is God is a just God. He's perfect in his holiness and his righteousness and his justice. And God's word is very clear that there is a wrath of God being stored up against all mankind. And a day of reckoning is coming. And if we lose sight of that, if we forget all the nature of who God is, then very quickly, we can almost neuter God a little bit to the extent that we would say things like, I'm gonna go live my life however I want. God's gonna love me anyway. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, that's true. But as soon as we begin to live life without reverence and fear of who God is, we're in trouble. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, when I was growing up in high school, I, was, I went to Horizon High School, and, and there were plenty of Friday and Saturday nights that I was out with the rest of the football team, and there was lots of opportunities to get into trouble. And when that keg was tapped and the pipe was passed, it wasn't the love of my parents that had me abstain. It wasn't the love of my parents that would pass the pipe or avoid the keg. It was the fear of my parents, knowing that if I did any of that stuff, there was gonna be a five foot two woman full of wrath and fury ready to wreak havoc upon my life. 
And so there's a healthy sense of fear and understanding and knowledge that God is still just. He's still on his throne. And as Isaiah says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And so we're gonna take a hard look at a, at a very seldom read passage. In fact, don't even turn there in your Bibles because by the time you find it, I'm sure we will have moved on. We're gonna look at Nahum chapter one. Looking at verses two through nine. And it's gonna be up here on the screen. I'm gonna read it from my Bible, but you can follow along right over my shoulder here. This is Nahum, the prophet, writing to uh, the people of Israel, but about the people of Nineveh. Nineveh, the same ones Jonah talked about you know, a couple months, weeks ago with, with Jamie, uh, have oppressed the Jews. And they haven't been super kind to them. So God is now speaking his wrath and justice over the people of Nineveh. And as I read this, here's all I want you to do. I just want you to think, does this describe the picture you have of God? Is there, is there some semblance of this in your portrayal of who God is? So let me read this. This describes our God. Verse two says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he keeps wrath for his enemies. Oh, the Lord, he's slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. Well, the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Be comforted, those of you that know Jesus. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What, do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. Now guys, as we, as we read that, it's, very, it's easy to dismiss that and go, oh, that's talking about the people of Nineveh. That's talking about the character and nature of God. To a specific group of people, yes, but don't think for a second that the New Testament doesn't talk about God, God withholding his wrath now for a certain period of time for all of us, until his patience runs out, for all of us to respond and turn to the truth of Jesus Christ because until we do that, the reality is, is that the wrath of God is stored up for us. There's an angry, vengeful, jealous side of God. Perfect righteousness, perfect justice. And at the end of all time, Every knee will bow, and why you bow depends on what you believe about Jesus. Some of us who know Jesus Christ will bow, and we will confess with anxious anticipation and hope of what awaits that moment when we get to be with God for all eternity. There's a whole other set of us that will kneel, we will bow, we will confess who God is because we will be in awe of who he is, but the angst and the anxiety in our hearts and souls will not be hope and anticipation it will be fear and dread of what awaits us. Eternal separation from God. Hell, you can call it whatever you want. But is God's wrath and fury heaped down upon us as sinful human beings because we have rejected his love in the form of Jesus Christ? See, that's the choice we have to make. But make no mistake about it. For those of you that want to read popular culture right now that says, oh, God's all loving. God's gonna forgive all in the end. Love wins in the end, yeah. For those of us that know Jesus, you're absolutely right. 
for all of us that have rejected, turned our back. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. The day is coming and there's gonna be a reckoning and this same vengeful, angry, wrathful God is true. And so what do you do with that? As you think about that, where do you stand with that God? If you came back today, if you came back in this moment, why would you bow? Where would you stand with the Father? Well, let's talk about what God did about that. Because we hear a lot about God's love. We hear a lot about God's compassion. And yet we also know that God is just and righteous. So where do we get this God is loving? Because if this is what he's got stored up, where does the love of God come in? Well, we're gonna look at three passages. Write these down if you want. They're pretty popular. You guys have heard them before. We're gonna look at Romans chapter five, verse eight. Because God is loving. There is a loving merciful, gracious side of God, but it only comes through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Look how many times God's gonna show his love and it's immediately pointed to Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, hold on to that phrase, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we, those of us that have put our faith in Christ, have now been justified by Christ's blood, much more shall we be saved from him and from the, here it is, wrath of God. You want to be spared from the wrath of God? It's not give more to the church. It's not do more. It's not, it's not have the cosmic scales tip in your favor at the end of all things. It's do everything you can to fall on your knees before the humble and humble yourself before God Almighty and grab onto Jesus with all that you've got. That's what God's calling us to do. In fact, that's how he's showing his love. He's looking down at mankind, at the mass of humanity, and he goes, man, there he is. I'm gonna call him out. And he calls out your name, and he called out Kevin at one point. He goes, Kevin, I want you to be my son. And at that point, a decision's gotta be made. What am I gonna do with that? Am I going to accept his love, or am I going to reject it? That's where we're all at. Look at Ephesians chapter two. It says, but God being rich in mercy, here it is, because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our sin. Sounds familiar to Romans, right? Even while we were still sinners, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with, here it is, Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming age, future, let's look to eternity, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ, in Christ, Christ, Christ. It's all about Jesus, guys. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one could boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Even while we were sinners, even in the midst of our trespasses, even when we were dead in our sin, Christ died for us. Why? To show us God's love. To show the love of God for each and every one of us. And as he expresses that love, we've got to do something with that. One last passage, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says this. In this is love. Okay, so how do we know what love is? In this is love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son, that's Jesus, into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Here it is again, guys. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation. I'll tell you what that church word means in just a second. For our sins. Again, here it is again. Not that we loved God, but he loved us. 
God's looking down and he's not looking down going, clean some stuff up and then I'll call your name out. No, he's looking down in the midst of us shaking our fist, angry in the muck and the mire of our life. And he's going, there's my beloved, there's the one. And he's calling our name out. He says, man, I love you. I love you so much that I sent my son. My son died for you. But then we get to this propitiation word. You know what that propitiation word? Some of your Bibles might interpret it a tone. It means this. It essentially means that, that in, the, in the moment that Christ died, not only did he pay a physical death, but he bore the wrath of God for the sins of the world. He appeased, he atoned for the wrath of God. This, this anger, this wrath that is stored up by God for the sins of myself and the rest of mankind. Christ took that upon himself for all who believe in him. He's a propitiation. He's the atoning sacrifice for God's wrath. And it's independent of me. It's not because of what I did. In fact, in the midst of my life, as I sit down here and I continue to sin and walk this treacherous road and and there's times that, man, I wander and God chases me and we're back and forth. But through it all, God's looking down going, Kevin, I love you because I choose to. Because I choose to. Not because of what you do. Not because of of anything other than the fact that I'm choosing to love you. And you can live in that love. You can accept that love or you can reject that love. But what you do with it, that's contingent upon you. See, the reality is this. The day is coming when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And right now we've all got a choice, a decision to make. We can accept God's love. We can accept God's love. The God of the universe, the ruling raider, creator, sustainer, the, the God of all things is looking down. He loves you and you can accept his love in the form of Jesus Christ. And you can accept his love or you can expect his wrath in the day to come if you choose to reject his love. But that's on you. That's your choice to make. That's the beauty of God. He says, look, I can tell you I love you. I can send my son to die for you. I can send men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ to come and to tell you and to profess and to share with you the good news of Jesus. But at some point, you've got to make a decision. Will you humble yourself or not in this world? But the day is coming where everyone will humble themselves before God because of who he is. And in that moment, what you do with Jesus is all that matters. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spell the gospel out in its simplest form. We're gonna do this every week. Just prepare yourselves. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do me a favor, just pray. Pray right now for the Spirit to move in any way the Spirit can. But here are four words. The first one is God. You guys need to understand, God absolutely loves you. God loves you. He's got great things in store for you. For any that choose to believe in him, man, he's got eternity in store, but he's also got a life now in store for you that's gonna blow your mind. He loves you. But we're gonna take a hard look next week. There's a problem. You and I, myself, probably more than many, we're sinners. Fall short. You can call it whatever you want. Mistake. Bible calls it sin. It's when you go... God, I know what you want me to do, but I'm gonna do my own thing. And you may not be that overt about it, but we all gotta acknowledge it. We've got a sin problem. It separates us from God. And so God did what we just read about, even while we were still sinners, even in the midst of that. God who loves us in the midst of our sin sent Jesus Christ down to earth, his only son to die on our behalf. 
At the end of his life, he found himself in a garden and he surrendered his will to God and said, all right, God, I'm gonna do this. And he was executed on a cross. And physical death, yes, but he bore the wrath of God for all the sins of the world in that moment and for any that believe in him. And so he paid the price for you and for me. So as Ephesians got done saying, I can't sit down here and boast. What do I have to boast in? You know what I can do? I can humbly kneel before the cross each and every day and grab onto Jesus with all I got because that's all I've got. God loves me. Man, I'm a sinner. Christ died for my sins. And so for me, I chose to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I found myself kneeling before God saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you for everything. So I'm all in on Jesus. I put my faith in Christ. And in that moment, I began to experience God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. And my life is far from perfect. It's not easy. This is not, this is, this is not the place to come if you want to hear uh, life will get easy, make this decision. It's not true. Life's still gonna have its ups and downs, but you know what? You're gonna be walking that road with God. You're gonna be walking that road with the body of believers that are gonna encourage you, scoop you up, welcome you into the family of God. And there's great benefit that comes with that. But what you do with Jesus matters. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a second. I've said this before. I'm gonna say it again. I might say it every week. This is not some magical prayer. This isn't a, a get out of jail free prayer. This is just trying to put words to what you might be experiencing as you think about the love of God. That the God of the universe, who said, Isaiah says the earth is a footstool. Go outside tonight, look at the stars. Look at all that he's made. And that God, looking down, he's calling your name out right now. And he's not inviting you to a suite at a golf tournament. He's inviting you into eternity with him forever. So what might it look like to surrender your life to his? So I'm gonna pray a prayer. Just pray this quietly with me, then I'll pray for all of us, and then we're gonna end our time with a time of communion. But if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, just pray this prayer with me. God, I thank you so much for loving me. God, in the, right now in this moment, wherever I am at, God, I acknowledge uh, that I am not perfect, that I'm a sinner. God, because of that, there's a huge gap between me and you, and I've got a problem. But God, in this moment, in this place, right now, I believe your son, Jesus Christ, died for me. So God, in this moment, I want to put my faith in you, and I want to trust you with my life. God, come into my life and do what only you can do. And God, for that, I thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your grace. Let me pray for the rest of us. And for those of you, that, before I pray, for those of you that may have prayed that prayer for the first time, get on that chat that Rick talked about. Find a way to communicate with us as a church. We would love to come alongside and encourage you. But for the rest of us, can I pray? Can I pray for us? God, as we started earlier, God, I pray that your spirit would move. And God, I pray for myself as I've talked to you a lot. God, I pray for those moments, those days when this gospel message, this love that you have for me gets drowned out by all the chaos and the other things of the world. God, I pray for those moments that Satan would love to distract me with all these other things. God, that you would allow me, that you would discipline me to fix my eyes on you. Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of my faith. 
God, with all that I have, that I would lean on you with everything. And God, I pray the same for this church. I pray the same for the flock, wherever they are at right now. God, that this week, this moment, you would draw our eyes to you and we would never take them off of you, God, that we would remember and that we would realize that we need you for everything because in the end, you're the all that matters. So God, we love you, we thank you. We pray all of these things and I pray for those that may have given their life to you. God, give them courage to reach out. God, give us diligence to respond and to love them right where they're at. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.